session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dolokri, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook, to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get started, the book of the week for this week is To Have or To Be by Eric Fromm. To Have or To Be by Eric Fromm. As you might know, listening to the show, Eric Fromm is one of my favorite thinkers and psychologist of all time. His book, The Art of Loving, is probably my favorite book. And this book I have not read. And actually, it was sent in. We only had a name, Bellissima. I don't know the name of the person who sent the book in, but thank you so much for sending this. I'm only a few pages in, but already enjoying it. and can tell it's going to be a good one about how we should really live our lives. In a lot of ways, we think about having um, to have things, to have status, to have possessions related to the book of the week last week. But really, it's more about being a human being, um, which is different than having. And so looking forward to reading that book because I want to hear his thoughts on it and then sharing it with you on Monday's show. But I wanted to start off today talking about conflict. And it's unfortunately something that most of us avoid at almost any costs. We don't like conflict. We don't like to uh, engage in disagreements, and so we tend to avoid them. Most people do it, but even more so, I think in our culture, in the Persian culture, we see it even more, that we think the way to deal with things is to not bring up something. It's better to avoid a disagreement or an argument. Or also, um, we feel that if we... Uh, have a conflict or disagreement, it might lead to the end of the relationship, something that I'm going to talk about. And so um, we have to look at this. Why do we avoid conflict? And also look at yourself. How okay are you with conflict and disagreements? And like most things, you can put people on a spectrum from very, very avoidant to completely okay. And maybe sometimes even some people might actually create conflict. They might have a more aggressive type of communication style, which that would not be good. But for the majority of us, we're too far left on that spectrum as far as avoiding conflict. And that can be a problem because in order to maintain healthy, happy, and strong relationships, we have to be able to embrace conflict. You can't avoid disagreements and have a very good relationship. So let's look at why people might avoid conflict. If we look at most people's family of origin, we'll see that there wasn't a healthy expression or ways of dealing with conflict, that they actually did not see conflict either dealt with in a good way or dealt with at all, or only conflicts were these really ugly fights. And so in this way, conflict and anger go together because I'll also talk about how anger is a 
emotion that most people think of as a very negative thing because we saw it expressed in bad ways in our lives. Either it was not expressed at all and people held it in, or they blew up and it was this really ugly thing. So we can learn a lot of times that anger is this very bad thing and related to that, that conflict is a bad thing, that it's something that leads to bad results, to fights, to scary interactions, and even to the end of relationships. So first you have to look back at your family of origin within your own home. How was conflict dealt with in your family? Was there conflict at all? Uh, was there really ugly interactions of yelling and fighting and screaming, even physical violence or uh, aggression that was expressed? Was it very passive aggressive? So no one expressed anything, but you saw it come out in these different ways. How did your family respond to you being upset? If you said you didn't like something, did they make you feel bad about it? Or did they hear you out and say, okay, let's hear what you have to say. Or if you had a conflict with someone, how did your parents respond? What I see happen a lot is that parents pass on this conflict avoidance to their kids. So their kids get into a fight with a kid at school or have a disagreement with a teacher. And the parent's first response is, how do I remove my child from this conflict? How do I switch their class or uh, call the parent myself to deal with the conflict between the two kids or switch them out of this teacher's class so they don't have to face this teacher anymore? And unfortunately, this is a very bad message that we're sending to kids about conflict, that it's perpetuating this idea that conflict is a very bad thing we have to avoid, that if you don't like someone, just avoid them, and that also conflict leads to the end of a relationship. And that's a big part of what makes us afraid of conflict. We can be afraid of the interaction. Is there going to be a fight? Is someone going to get aggressive and all that, which is very scary. And that could be a big part of why people avoid it to begin with. But then in the bigger picture, for a lot of people, there's this fear that if I get into a fight or argument with you, I lose you. And that's too scary. And the reason why you could feel this way is because when you brought something up as a child, your parents responded in a way almost as if they don't love you or they couldn't handle that. So it made you feel like if I disagree, if I have a fight, if I have a conflict, I don't get loved. And this is to the extreme of it, but we feel this in various forms. And this is why it's so important as parents to recognize that when your child acts in a way that you don't quite like, if they get angry or if they have a tantrum, this is actually the moment they need you the most. But unfortunately, the message that a lot of parents send their kids is that when you need me the most, when you're emotionally overwhelmed and reacting, I don't love you. And that unfortunately shows them that I only love you when you're being calm and nice and pleasant, but I don't love you when you're being angry or upset. And we don't have to condone any action they do when they're angry. So if they say mean things or profanity or something disrespectful, we absolutely need to point that out to them and let them know that's not okay. But we don't want to make them feel that when they are overwhelmed with emotion, we don't love them anymore or we don't love who they are. We want to make sure that they feel it's okay to disagree. It's okay to be upset and for them to tell us they're upset. It's not, I'm the parent. I'm always right. I'm the parent. What I say goes, I'm the parent, respect everything I say and obey my orders. It's that you're allowed to disagree with me. And so this is so important for parents to teach their kids because I've uh, worked with a lot of families where the parents will say, you know what, my, my son or my daughter is at school 
And the teacher, I think, is being mean to her, but I don't like that she's not sticking up for herself. I want her to stick up for herself and tell them, I don't like this. And what I'll always ask the parents is, how easy is it for your child to stand up to you? How easy do, do you make it for your child to tell you, I don't like something you're doing, or I'm unhappy, or this feels unfair? And a lot of times parents will realize that they don't give their child that space. Or they might think they do because they say, of course, my kid can tell me anything, and that's just a blanket statement. But when you look down at the actual detailed interactions, you see that, well, when their child disagrees, the parent responds very negatively or shows they're upset or makes a face like, what are you doing? How dare you disagree with me? And so if we send this message to the kid, you don't disagree with an adult or someone in authority or really anyone. And then now we expect that when they go to school or they're interacting with others, they're going to be very assertive and stand up for, for themselves. So we have to give our ch children the space to disagree with us, that it's okay to disagree, to be unhappy about what we're doing, to say something we're doing feels unfair to them. We can have that conversation. And we can have these conversations in general. We can communicate about what we're feeling. Unfortunately, in most families, we don't have these conversations. People hold things in. There might be a disagreement, but then we say, okay, let's just not talk for a day. And then we move on as if nothing happened. And so two days later, it's like back to normal. But it's not back to normal because we know that tension is still there. There's still that unresolved conflict. But because we don't want to face it, we avoid it. And so this has an additional negative consequence. Because if we have conflicts and then we move on and pretend like nothing happened, but I know you're upset or I'm upset, but we don't talk about it. Now I always have this question mark in my mind that when I'm interacting with people, even if they show me that they are okay, do I actually know they're okay? Do I know if they're upset with me, if they're mad, if they don't like something that I'm doing or something that we are doing together? And this is why people can feel so anxious when they're around people of, are you okay? Do you like this? Do you not like this? Because even if the person doesn't tell them, they think, well, you're not going to tell me if you're unhappy. And so I have to try to get it out of you. And so these people can be very anxious in relationships because they can be sitting with someone in silence or just sitting, someone and things are, sitting with someone and things are calm. And their mind quickly goes to, well, how do I know they're okay? How do I have them prove to me that they're not mad or sad or upset? And people start to doubt the per person that they're with because they know that in their family, if someone was upset, they never said anything. So when we avoid conflict, not only do we make it hard for people to have those conversations as they get older and to embrace conflict and realize that things will be okay, but we also introduce to them this anxiety that even when someone tells you they're okay, maybe they're not. Even when someone tells you I'm not upset with you or they don't say anything at all, they actually might be really mad, really sad, and really not okay with the situation. And it creates this additional anxiety that how do I know my friend, my partner, whoever it is, is actually feeling okay. So what I encourage parents to do is going back to the examples of something coming up at school. If your child gets into a fight with a kid in school, rather than first of all just saying that kid is bad and we have to get away from them, um, you, of course, first want to empathize with your child, hear why they're upset, why they got hurt, and make sure they feel like you're with them, you're connected to them. And eventually what can be good in a, 
sometimes you have to be sensitive about how you bring this up, trying to get your child to see the other person's perspective in the conflict. So the reason why I say you have to be a little bit sensitive is because you don't want to make it seem like you're taking the other person's side. And sometimes uh, adults will say this, that they felt like when they were a kid, no matter what happened, their parent always took the other person's side. So first you want to take their side or at least show that you understand their side. But eventually in helping them to recognize how um, things can arise and that that person that they're having a conflict with doesn't have to necessarily be a bad person, it could be good to get them to see their perspective. But then you want to help them engage with that person. So rather than saying, we're going to switch your class, we're going to switch your school, we're going to move cities because we have to avoid conflict at any cost, we show them, no, you can go talk to that person. You guys had a disagreement, you had an argument, that's okay. That's part of life. That's part of being in relationships with people and being around people is that sometimes things come up that you don't like and, and disagreements and arguments are going to happen. That's all right. And now you guys are going to talk about it and get to resolve it. They might even become friends, but they don't have to be, but they at least can resolve the conflict. And same thing with the teacher. Rather than just saying this teacher is bad, the teacher is um, mean and horrible and you have to switch classes, it's possible the teacher is not the right fit for your child and they aren't a good teacher. But first, see if the conflict can be resolved. See if you can go talk and have your child involved, not just you and the teacher talk, but see if there could be a conversation your child has with their teacher expressing their feelings, allowing the teacher to share their side and see if they can come to some resolution. It might seem like a small thing, but you'll be giving your child a huge gift if you can show them that conflict is not something bad, is not something scary, is not something to be avoided at all costs, no matter what, that it's actually a natural part of relationships. And not only is it a natural part of relationships, if we avoid conflict, we can't have very close relationships. We can't have very emotionally intimate relationships if we're avoiding talking about the things we're feeling, the things that bother us. This debris builds up between us and that person and doesn't allow for us to be as connected. So you're giving them a huge gift by saying, look, you know, you and your teacher, you didn't like what he said, and I could see why you didn't like that, and I don't know what was going on, but maybe you can go talk to him. And you can aid them depending on their age talk to the teacher a little bit yourself or be there for part of the interaction. But overall, you want to make sure you let them have a big part in that, that they can handle it themselves. Again, not the conflict is so scary, I have to handle it for you, even if we're going to face it, that actually you can handle it. I might, I'm always going to be here to support you, but you can handle that yourself and recognize that you're teaching them something very important that can help them in all the relationships they have in their lives. So that was the parenting side of things, but also just in general for each one of us to focus on this and realize how okay am I with conflict? Am I so afraid of it that I avoid it at all costs? Am I kind of okay with it? Or actually, can I embrace it? And for most people, it's going to be uncomfortable. It shouldn't be something that you like. If you like conflict, that could be its own issue. But if you are able to tolerate conflict, recognize that it's an uncomfortable conversation and situation you can actually embrace, that will allow for you to have much healthier relationships. You can feel much more comfortable that you don't have to hold things in, that you're not worried about other people holding things in, and you can have more genuine expressions from yourself and the relationships that you have. So conflict avoidance is one of those things we all, almost all of us have to varying degrees, but it's something to look at personally. Where do I stand on this particular issue or where do I feel about that uh, and see what you can do to help yourself out to become more okay with conflict. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Um, uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, just to, I just wanted to tell you that I was listening a bit about what you were saying about parents and stuff and and um, how, you know, they should act with the, their child. And I really admire what you said. It's... Um, it's it's a it's a good thing. Like I think everybody should listen to whatever you you were saying. It's a it's really a, a eyes opening. And well, thank uh, you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I hope people that aspect. Uh, yeah, I think I see we could see that a lot playing out. We're avoiding conflict, uh, damages relationships, and and uh, if we are able to embrace them, we can have a lot better relationships. So thank you for that. Let me know uh, what your question is about. Uh, on, okay, um, I'm actually calling because um, I uh, am I, like I've been with someone for uh, two years now. Okay, and um, it's kind of I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a toxic relationship, but I haven't been able to get out of it, and I'm always like coming back to it and wondering like if I'm making a mistake or if I should uh, just leave, if I should go forward. I don't know what to do anymore. Mm. Um. Uh, so I, I don't know I, the first time I would like talk to someone about it like I don't know um, how what to start with okay so you're saying it's been about three years um, but you're saying it's toxic and the way you described it, it seems like it has an on and off quality to it but how old are you how old is this person I'm 24 he's 26 24 26 okay and so when you say toxic, I'm sure it's a lot of things that go into that, but what about it seems toxic to you? Um, it's, um, it's making me really anxious. Um, I've been having trouble sleeping. I've been having depression sometimes. Uh, always trying to cheer myself up and you know concentrate on other things like school and work. Uh, but it's have it's has been bringing me down these past years um, and I, I don't know I don't know what to do about it I don't know if it's because uh, it's something wrong about me that I should fix or it's really like just him not being down for it and not admitting it I don't know hmm. well it can be hard with these things because like you said you might be feeling down yourself and you're not sure if it's him and then of course sometimes if we're down we might choose a relationship that might no, make us more down because of him you think he's the reason why you're feeling depressed doing with me. okay so what is he doing with you i feel like uh, i don't know he's um he's on and off he doesn't know i don't know it's like he doesn't know if he wants to be with me and then when i leave he comes back and then he's like he, he wants me to stay and then and then I stay, obviously, because I really love him. But um, then I feel like he's pushing me away again. And then mm-hmm. when I leave, he comes back. And it's been playing on me for, like, these past two years. Especially the last year, it's been, uh, mm-hmm. been intense. With yeah, well, the dynamic you're describing, a lot of people find themselves there where they're with someone. And it's almost like they want to be... They don't want to be alone, so they don't want to not have the person, but they also don't want to be so close to them. So if you pull away, he tries to pull you back. But if you try to get close to him, he pushes you back. And so you are you feel like you're in this constant um, 
kind of cat and mouse where either you're going towards him and he pushes you away or you pull away and then he pulls back. But what it seems like you want from him, at least on the surface, now unconsciously we can try to see what's going on, is you want him to be more committed to you or to... Yeah. Okay. Are you guys in a relationship? Like, do you guys say you guys are committed to each other? Uh, well, um, me, I am. Him, I don't think so. Okay, so... I really don't think he is. Uh, we, but we've been together for um, for two years, and we've been in a relationship, like it's, it's been said, you know, like, it's not like, uh, I don't know, maybe because, I don't know. Yeah, that's. Um, I think that's the the problem. It seems like you you don't know. You say on one hand you make it say it's a relationship. I yeah. I don't know his. I don't know his point of view about this. But he he doesn't communicate well with me. He doesn't. He doesn't say what he thinks. He doesn't say anything. Well, that that's a problem because you're saying in th- you guys are together three years, but then the way you talk about it, it's like it is a relationship. It's not a relationship. You're committed to him. You're not sure if he's committed to you. And by that, you mean you don't know if he's dating other people? Uh, honest, uh, I don't think he is dating other people. Um, like 90% sure about that. I can never be 100% sure about anything. But um, I am committed 100%. He is not in the sense that, but he wants me to be committed 100%. That's the thing. So he would tell me, I want you to be committed 100%. And when I say, okay, but I also want you to be committed 100%, he, he, he says, no, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you can, I, I kind of laughed because that is um, laughable to, to see it that way, that you have to be 100% there for him and committed to him, but he is not going to be ready to give you that back. I'm sure you can okay. hear how unfair that sounds. How what? How unfair that is. Yeah, yeah. Right. But still, we have to accept, you know, we can say, oh, it's laughable for him to say that, but then you have to take the responsibility that you're accepting that. Well, yeah. I mean, and I know you're, you're I want to say almost excuse, but reasoning is because you love him. But we have to try to understand why you would love someone who is creating a toxic relationship for you. Because he wasn't really like that at first. Um, no, he wasn't like that at first. And the fact that he always comes back and uh, tries not so hard because I don't really let them try that hard to have me back. I just go back every time. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I don't know, like, um, I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know why I can get out of it. I don't know why I keep doing all these things for him and try to take care of him the more I can. Um, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I can't get out of it. I would like to get out of it because I don't feel like it's, it's good for me or my future. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. And I know, it's, you know, it's easier said than done me listening or someone listening to you might think, okay, well, if it's toxic, if you, it's hurting you in these ways, just leave. But it is usually, it's easier said than done, although it doesn't mean you can't do it, but we want to try to unpack it a little bit more rather than just saying, you know, if you don't like it, leave. Most people in their lives, they're doing something, whether it's something they're doing or not doing in their own lives or in some kind of relationship that 
they might know is not good for them, but it, changing that is easier said than done. But plus, we want to understand why we find ourselves where we do. Because most people find themselves in some jail that they put themselves in, and they hate being there, even though they have the key and can walk out any time. But still, they somehow feel stuck. And it seems like you feel stuck with him, but you're not exactly sure why. And maybe you tell yourself at times, oh, it's because I love him so much, or you know, people will tell themselves things, well, you know, because we love each other, doesn't matter if it hurts sometimes, or he's my true love or my soulmate. So even if I have to go through this or that, it doesn't matter because this love is so important. But usually those are things we tell ourselves to stay in some comfortable, even if it's painful, but comfortable situation that we're in. And we got to try to figure out why is he comfortable for you, even if it hurts. Why he, he comes? No, why he is comfortable for you. Somehow it's he's oh. your comfort zone. Even if it's hurtful, for some reason you're staying in this painful relationship with him. Um, and, of course, the easiest place we have to look back to is your own parents and your own father and your relationship with him because there might be something there. But there's some reason why you're staying here. It might seem like it's just all from the outside. We have to get what's going on for you. So tell me a bit about your parents and especially about your dad. Okay, my dad is, um, my parents are divorced. Okay. Uh, and, uh, since I have se- 17, so it's been like seven years, mm-hmm. they're not together anymore. Uh, but they kept a good relationship, so they're not fighting or um, uh, swearing at each other. They're, they're good friends. Um, my dad is a man that I really, really admire, and he's like the king of the world for me. He's always been there for me, did everything for me, and he's really, like, super soft-hearted and would die, literally, for his, his kids. So, um, and he's always been like this. Yeah, he was, uh, he's super conservative or, also, so he has this uh, strict, um, strict, uh, how do you say, um, strict mind, mm-hmm. mindset. Uh, he would Yeah, he's a really conservative. I come from a Muslim family also. Um, And my dad is kind of practicing also. Uh, And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much about my dad. He's really, uh, he's a hardworking man. He's always done anything to provide for his family. Uh, We once um, went to bankruptcy uh, because of uh, family problems, family stalling us. And my dad was always super patient. So, like, I am kind of a super patient person also. Mm-hmm. I took it from him mostly. And um, he's always been, like, he always had faith. So whatever happens, he says um, that God's going to give him better, that God is pressing or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much about my dad. Okay. Um, so it seems like there's been ups and downs. Obviously, every family has them, but you said financially, especially, and your parents got divorced. Uh, one thing before I go on, you said kids. So how old are your siblings? Uh, I have um, uh, six brothers and sisters. I have uh, one big brother. He's uh, 25. And I have um, my sister. She's 21. And I have 17. My brother is 16, and I have uh, the late one that came after is uh, one is four and one is six. Okay, so those are, I guess, step 
Or I mean half? Yeah, the, the, half. the yeah. Okay. So your father but, had kids after the divorce? Yeah, my mom and dad got um remarried. Uh-huh. They both got remarried and your but your dad had more kids? Uh no, my dad had yeah, he had one. He has one and my mom had one also. Okay, got it. Okay. So there's four of you that were from the same parents and then now one Five. got it. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of, in the way you described your father, hardworking. Sometimes when I hear hardworking, it also means not home as much because they were working so hard. I don't know if that's how he was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, there's a good chance you didn't get as much of his time and attention as you would have liked. Having four siblings itself is going to make that difficult. But um, if he's also working so hard. So do you remember having that feeling of wanting more of his time? Uh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, and then, so tell me more about the strict, uh, you said he was a, he had a strict mindset. So how would that show up for how he treated you? Um, in the sense that he was a little bit uh, too religious. Um, conservative in the sense that, you know, uh, old mentality that uh, a woman should dress like that and not like that. And uh, you shouldn't attract attention, uh, shouldn't come home late, shouldn't do this and that. So there's a lot of shouldn't do and shouldn't do and should do. Mm-hmm. Um, because he has this, um, this, I don't know, this old mentality that women are like super, um, how to say, uh, vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You said vulnerable? Yeah. Okay. That, that uh, you know they always have to be fully protected and um, always have a man by her side and stuff. So, um, hmm. not against this thought, honestly. It's just that you know I I just I happen to um, move forward with the generation, not him. Uh huh. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and it's interesting. There's some ways the guy that you're dating or in this relationship with might have some of those same mentalities. So in a way, like you have to be available to him, but he doesn't. And so that double standard, you got that from your family and your dad, maybe even more, and you might be internalizing that yourself. And so some level you can accept it, even though you can logically get it's unfair what this guy is saying, but somewhere emotionally, it feels like that's right. You know, he doesn't have to be committed and I do, or he can be even with other people, that would be okay. But for a woman to do that would be horrible and bad. So of course I'm not going to do that. And so in in a way I get this feeling, it's like you want to be a good girl for him, like be that, because you probably had a feeling of, I have to be a good girl for my dad to love me because he's so strict and religious and sees things in these ways. And so it's like, you have to be this thing to get that love. And so you might've found a guy who makes you feel that way. Like you have to keep proving yourself to to be good enough to be loved by him but you're kind of always in the state of not being quite good enough and but that's what i mean by even though it's painful it might be comfortable as in you're used to it now we're at the time for a commercial break but i want us to keep talking so i'm going to put you on hold after the break i also want you to think but while i put you on hold and before we come back about how this man and your father might be similar or what's what parallels you yourself see but when we come back, we'll talk yeah. more about that, okay? Honestly, I always... Well, yeah, I'm going to have to put you on hold. We're going to go to commercial break, but after the all break, right. we'll talk, okay. all right? Thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Caller, are you still there? Yeah. Okay, so uh, you were telling me about this relationship you were in. It's been about three years. You described it yourself as toxic. And then we talked about your family and a bit about your father, who you described as strict, um, very religious, and definitely perpetuated that double standard of men and women um, that many yeah. Middle Eastern people can have and is part of our unfortunately part of the traditions that we still hold on to even if we're somebody's living in a country that doesn't follow that or we think we're not following it anymore but i asked you to think about how the guy you're dating and your father might be similar in some ways and it seemed like you had thought of some things even before the break but wanted to hear from you now what similarities do you see between them um honestly i um the it's true that they have a lot of similarities. I always tell him, you remind me of my dad, mm-hmm. but in a good way. And I've, I've come to, I don't know, I think I, um, uh, similarities in everything, honestly, from the way they eat to the <laughs> way they think uh, to the way they act, to their values, um, mm-hmm. almost, almost everything except that um, my dad used to treat my mom way much better. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it's good that you're aware of that. A lot of times it's very cliche. People say, oh, you're going to date someone like your mom or your dad, and we think no way. But usually it, it happens, especially if there's some unresolved issues that we have. It's even more likely that we get attracted to someone like that, our parent, and even some of the negative things. Now, I know you're saying in a lot of good ways, he reminds you of your dad, although one not good way he, that he doesn't remind you of your dad is you affect the way he treats you compared to how your dad treated your mom, although we can look at that a little more closely too. Um, and that's a big one, obviously. But I think this is what I meant before the break about how I think this guy feels familiar and comfortable to you, even though he's very painful. And I get the sense you're trying to be this perfect good girl for him and there's this unconscious yeah yeah, this thought that if i can be good enough for him and even said i do so much for him then he will love me um just like i wish my dad loved me more even though i know you're saying he was the king of the world and all these things even that uh, struck me as a little bit strong the way you said that um Mm -hmm. i think you might have idealized your father and his love and his love for you but you might have to go back and look at that and what ways was he actually not so king of the world or the the hurt feelings you have from him because um, yeah go yeah. ahead yeah it's, it's, it's honestly like the way that i would want my dad to act um would be that i would wanted him to be more comprehensive about a lot of things i um i used to wear the the veil Mm-hmm. And then one day I decided to take it off because I didn't want to work anymore. And I just didn't feel like I, I don't know, I just didn't want to wear it. Lip, and, and my dad got really mad. Where were you and, guys, li- where were you living? You don't have to say the city, but were you in America at that time or uh, not Iran? I live in Canada. Canada. And you were in Canada and you were wearing the veil? Yeah. Okay. And how old were you when you moved to Canada? Oh, you're born in Canada, okay? And so you were wearing a veil. And were your other sisters also wearing a veil? Yeah, everybody does. Uh, okay. It was all our choices. Uh, but you know, when I grew up and 
you go to college, your mentality changes. Yeah. And I and I and I know you said it was our choice, and I'm I don't want to say it wasn't your choice. And a lot of times families make it seem like they give their kids choices to do things, but it's pretty clear um, it's not so much a choice. You know, if you get the sense that you're betraying your father and your family, and you're being a bad girl and woman, or whatever ways they put it, but they say you still have a choice, it, it's not that much of a choice. And so a lot of times yeah. parents don't realize the ways. They think they're giving their kids a choice, but they're not. So um, I felt like there you were almost trying to defend your parents and say, oh, no, it's totally our choice. We wanted to, but maybe it wasn't so much like just a want as if you had 100% freedom, but there was a strong pressure and then you gave in to that. Yeah, um, but, yeah but yeah, maybe. I was I was uh, seven when I decided to wear it. Seven? Uh, okay, yeah. Um, so a seven-year-old... Yeah you know, is pretty much going to be making the decision they think their parents like, especially in a strict household. So I don't really, you know, again, it's not the takeaway from that decision you made at seven, but I'm sure it had to do a lot more with help making sure your parents, yeah, obedience than like, this is really a choice. Like you knew, it's just like, I remember being six and telling people I wanted to become a doctor and they would all say, oh my God, that's so great. And it would just feel good to keep saying it, you know? So I don't even know if I was thinking about being a doctor, but it sounded like, the good thing because of how positive a reaction I would get. In this case, even probably more that there was a negative reaction if you wouldn't do it. But what age were you when you decided not to wear it anymore? 19. 19. Okay. So it's only been about five years. Yeah. And then what was the reaction from your parents? Uh, it was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was bad. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was as if I betrayed everyone Mm-hmm. I wasn't the same person anymore, and and yeah, I I had a, a really difficult time. Honestly, my mom was mad. Everybody was mad. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a, a horrible um, reaction. Mm-hmm. I and still hold a little bit of grudges against I can understand how they reacted with me. Yeah, um, and your sister like and I your... wasn't part of the family anymore. Hmm. Yeah, and that's I, I'm uh, that that's heartbreaking, but I think hearing you say that even more illustrates how much at seven, as much as it seemed like you chose to, um, you, you kind of knew unconsciously, at least that if I don't wear one, I won't be part of the family. So to be part of this family, I have to do this. And it felt good to do it because it made you part of the family, which might've made you feel like it was your choice, but it was more that it made you feel safe and accepted and loved if you did that. Um, so it's a, a choice really means that we'll love you, whatever you do. We'll love you if you wear it or don't. But I don't think you had that feeling and you got that reaction at 19. Now, do your mom and siblings, your sisters, wear, wear it still, the veil? Yeah, they do. Okay. So when you're around them, is it, do you f- feel, I mean, I know in the home it's different, but if you're in public with them, how do you feel? Uh, well, honestly, today it's different. It's all uh, so good. Nothing is super normal and nobody looks at me as if I'm different. Okay. So um, it's it's okay now, but at first I felt as if I I don't know. It's like I was naked in front of them, mm, mm-hmm. you know, like oh, go wear something. Uh-huh. But you know, I just took off of my veil, so it wasn't like that big of a deal. But to them, it felt like I was naked, mm. literally. Well, I'm sure you know they. You're saying it seems like they made you feel that way. 
I'm sure you yourself had to go through a lot of adjustments too. You know, making that decision probably was not easy. It must have been uncomfortable, maybe liberating it also, but I could imagine it brought up a lot of feelings for you too about yourself. Yeah, I had to hide it for a while, and mm. then I, I came out like I came out with it, and yeah, I had to hide that for a while. I would go to work, take it off, go back home, put it on. Mm. It was really tiring, and I hated it because I felt like I was being hypocrite or whatever. So yeah, I had to, to just come up with it and tell everyone that this is my decision, and I don't want to wear it anymore. Mm -hmm. Literally everybody, except my sisters, um, everybody got mad. Wow. Everybody. Hmm. You know, even hearing you, the yeah. language you used, you said to come out, and it reminds me, of course, when we're thinking of coming out, like uh, someone with their sexuality coming out to their friends or family that they're gay or lesbian. It's that yeah, same that feeling that you're crazy. hiding something that, I mean, to me, it's the same thing where you don't, you shouldn't have to be ashamed of it, but you felt so ashamed or felt it wouldn't be accepted. And so you felt you had to hide it from your family. And then it creates all those same kinds of things, of course, different, but in some ways similar of even you trying to accept yourself, because that's something that people mm -hmm. go through when they're coming out. Even in some ways, first, they have to come out to themselves or accept it themselves before they can share it. And that's why I'm, of course, the, the outside reaction is very important. I'm sure it had a big impact. But I'm also curious about what you've gone through internally because what usually happens is the values and the judgments of our parents, we internalize and become our own parent. And so there could be some of yourself even judging yourself for this decision, even in an unconscious way, that could affect you and how you even feel about you. And that could be some complicated things to work out of you accepting it um, before, and maybe they never will, but of them accepting it. So did you feel that ever yourself, that you were doubting, okay, does this make me bad in these ways, immoral, or whatever the judgments you got from them? Did you see yourself judging yourself Honestly, in that way? I, um, I, went through a, I went through a really hard time for a couple of years. Just thinking about it makes me want to cry, honestly. Hmm. I don't, I have, I, have, I have never really got out of it. Um, never had the, that closure that I, I wanted. Um, and when everybody got mad, uh, my mom asked me to leave the house, but it was so, so stupid. Hmm. Uh, she asked me to leave because she didn't want me to influence my brother and my sisters. And so, you know, I, I got really mad and I just, you know, decided to leave. And I went through, um, you know, since I was 19 and my mentality, my personality was not 100% developed, um, I felt that I was not a good person. Mm. I felt bad about myself. I felt like I betrayed everybody. Um Hmm. So I started to make bad decisions also. Um, I was trying to find myself for a while. Yeah. And it took me a while, but not that so much for a while. It took me two years, and then I just got back in my foot again. Uh, but, yeah, it was really difficult. I felt like I betrayed everyone. I felt like I wasn't a good girl. I felt like um, I had no future in front of me, that I was just hmm. completely lost. Uh, it was really, it was really hard going through that feeling. I would never want to make my kids feel that way at all. 
Yeah. And uh, even when I tried to talk it out with my mom, even after everything got fixed, um, I don't know. Like, she never really wanted to even admit that she was wrong in whatever she did. Hmm. Uh, Is she more oh, accepting yeah. of it now? Until now. Uh, she never really admits that it was wrong telling me to leave. Hmm. What would you tell me to leave? But she never, ever admitted that it was wrong. Hmm. And yeah. because of her telling me to leave, and, you know, I t- I made bad decisions. I was, I was just out there with no parents like to be uh, supportive with me and if my parents are not supportive to me who's going to be supportive to me mm-hmm. yeah. so i felt like i was just abandoned yeah and if you know i, so I kind of abandoned myself I was, I, that was what i was thinking too is that it was you have felt you felt abandoned by them you abandoned yourself and it was just this period of figuring out well if i'm not that what they wanted me to be then what am i and then you, it seems like you went through maybe all types of extremes of trying to figure that out. And I'm sure there was even a rebellious and angry side to it too, of doing exactly the opposite of everything they told you you should be, it sounds like, and just figuring out um, what what you want it to be. And maybe you're still in that process. It's still only been, uh, I guess, five years since then, and there was so much to work out. Uh, what I was also wondering about the accepting piece is, is she more accepting of you not wearing the veil now, or is she still... Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. It's not even a, like, we never have conversations about the veil or anything. She just, you know, she she um, she evolved with time. She mm-hmm. understood that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Even herself, she wears it, like, you know, like um, how Iranians wear it to, and with the hair out a little? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in, in the country. Yeah, she, she wears it like that. She didn't used to. She used to, like, cover everything, but now she, like, loosen up. And sometimes I come up with that. I'm like, see, you, yourself, you've loosened up. Yeah. So, you know, what was the big deal? But she, she doesn't even reply. I don't know if she feels bad or she just, she, or she just like trying to avoid the, her mistake. But I don't know. Well, and I can see now even more why when you came on the air, you talked about um, how in the first segment it was interesting for you how I was talking about conflict and avoiding things, and it seems like you feel like she's avoided yeah. talking about what happened there, acknowledging her role or what happened and, and, and maybe ignoring it completely. And it seems like it's not resolved for you and you probably would benefit from having some uncomfortable but meaningful conversations with her about what's happened because I don't think, and understandably so, that you've forgiven her for what's happened and it still hurts. That's a pretty because deep we, wound. we've never had the talk. Yeah. We've never had that serious talk where she, she admits what she did and and she she apologized mm-hmm. for it. She never she yeah. just avoids it. She, she she doesn't she doesn't want me to have that closure because she doesn't want to admit that she mistake she she mistaken with me. So yeah. That... So when you when I first heard you talking about how parents should be with their kids and stuff, mm-hmm. it really got me to my feelings. Like mm. it really got me to my bones because I'm 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 not I never got over with that subject, even if it's been. <clears throat> Five years, uh, not no, not five years. I'm 24. Is it uh, well, three? Um, how much? Why am I bad in math? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure you're doing. You're, you're probably better at math than that. But I wrote down that you said at 19 you 
um, stopped wearing the veil, although maybe they didn't know about it yet because you said you were hiding it. So that's why it said five years, but maybe by the time they knew yeah, you were older. Right. I don't know why I got confused. <laughs> yeah, five years. And even though it's been five years, like I told you, it's, we never had this closure. Yeah, well... Like me? But the wound is still open, you know, so if the wound is open, even if it was five years ago, it, the pain can still feel fresh because there hasn't been the healing that needs to be done for that wound to get better at least or to go away. So it's understandable that it still feels fresh and open because you haven't dealt with it because of the avoidance. Now, we're at another commercial break, but I do want us to continue and we will even come back to your relationship. I think these things you're talking about with your family and what you went through are very important. So we'll stay there some more and then eventually see if we can come back to the what initially had you calling about the relationship you're in. Okay, so I'm going to put you on hold. We'll talk in a few minutes. All right. All right. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, so in the last segment, you, you shared a lot about your family and giving us even a better idea of how, when you talk about your father being strict, uh, wearing a veil, being raised and born in another country outside of Iran, it's not as typical. Some people, of course, do go through that, but it does show um, what your family was probably like. But then your experience finally, quote unquote, coming out, deciding to not wear the veil and then coming out to your family and how bad it was. And it is, again, interesting how much it mirrors what some people go through with their sexuality, getting kicked out of their home or disowned. It still does happen even in the United States and Canada. These situations are happening. Mm -hmm. But you were kicked out of your own home. And then I guess eventually, I don't know how you were brought back in, but then it was completely unacknowledged by your mom, especially as far as what you went through. Um, when did you, how did you eventually get accepted back in or what was that like? Um, um, after a couple of months that I got out of the house, my, not even a couple of months, honestly, after like a month, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, my mom started calling me and um, she was crying and she, she wanted me to come back. And um, I obviously wanted to go back, but the fact mm-hmm. that I got out of the house, opened some forbidden doors, mm, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, when these doors were open to me, I was curious. And yeah. uh, I didn't really want it to go back home because I didn't feel like it was my place anymore. So I was trying to look around and see, um, you know, what's, what's life? Well, mm-hmm. what's the things that I've not been able to experience or to see or to you know and and i'm honestly i'm really glad it happened because it changed a lot in my personality and my mentality um i used to be really like um really also conservative in my head and really judgmental about a lot of things but when you get out of the house and you experiment stuff you you see people you talk to people you see how like you see the differences around you, mm-hmm. you just you know you open up more. You your your mindset changes. So I wasn't really mad after all that I got out. I was mad to be rejected. I was mad that I had to uh, grow grow up 
like my mentality had to grow in that way, mm-hmm. like that process. But when she called and asked to, for me to come back, I, I took my stuff and I, I went back home. But it was really difficult. Um, I felt this distance, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I felt, uh, I don't know, I felt the rejection a bit, even though they, they tried to in, integrate me again, but I really did feel that it wasn't natural anymore. It was just, it, it was just forced. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Mm. I, I still felt the distance, uh, but they were trying hard, um, and I know she, she's super, she's an impulsive woman, so she would act in a way, but it's not the way she wanted it. But she's really pride, full of pride also. So, um, yeah, but I really felt distant. Mm-hmm. I still feel a little bit distant today. Um, I feel different. I feel distant. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's it's just better today. But, you know, at that time, I just felt like, I'm not myself at home, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went back out, and I've, uh, I've, I've evolved. Honestly, I've developed a lot. So at a certain point, I became, I don't know, I was still lost, so I wanted to party, so I was party, and then I wasn't serious about anything. I was just lost. And then one day I just got, because I still got, you know, contact with, really good people and there was this woman she was um she was my manager and until today we're like super close and i really love her she sheltered me for a while and you know she she didn't ask anything from me and she Mm -hmm. was really trying to help me um find myself again and she's like one of my best friends today she's she's 39 i'm 24 but honestly like she i i She's like the best person I've ever known. Mm. You, you, and, you mean you uh, lived when you said shelter? Uh, you mean you lived with her? She mm-hmm. took you in to live with her. Excuse me. Uh, when you said sheltered you, do you mean she actually took you in to live with her? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I lived with her with her kids. She had the mm-hmm. three little kids, and you know she gave me keys. She just, yeah, you know, she was my manager. She didn't even know me that good, but she. She felt uh, inside of me that I was a good person. She felt a good connection with me, and she's like, "Here, this is my house keys. Uh, I made you a, a double, so this mm. is my house keys. You come in whenever you want, and just know that you have a place to stay if you know you don't know yeah. where to go." And I went to her place because I didn't really want to go to my friend's place because at the end of the day, I still felt like my friends were still young and they had. They, they wouldn't be able to guide me or to advise me or whatsoever. And, but her, since she was older and she mm-hmm. had more experience and she was a mom, I was like, okay, I want to stay with her for a yeah. while. That was the word. And I stayed. Yeah, you know, you said mom, and I was already thinking that before, that even the ways you talked about the way she loved you, there was almost like an unconditional feeling about it. Like she took you in, she accepted you she gave you the key and there was this almost unconditional love feeling and i think you were looking for a mom figure because your mom in that time did the opposite of that you felt like she kicked you out and made the love very conditional and so you were seeking that feeling of someone 
to take you in and accept you 100%. And she gave you that feeling, which I, I can see why it was so, everyone wants that, but especially at that time, why it was even more meaningful to you to have that experience of someone loving you in that way. And I'm sure you were wishing you got that from your mom, but she wasn't giving it to you, especially then. And so you found it in her. I can, and I can see why she's still so special to you. Yeah, that's true. Honestly, it's uh, 100% true. I could be 100% myself, and whatever the the mentality I had that sometimes I laugh about, because I'm like, I wouldn't even shelter me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she did. She accepted me the mm. way I was. She accepted me with the, my way of thinking. She accepted me with my unstable um, everything. Everything was unstable in me. And she just, you know, she took me in, and she she um, she was really supportive. She was trying to help me out with whatever question I had, because um, she is a, she is a uh, she she she's a teacher, theology teacher. Mm -hmm. so she studied religions and stuff, and like the three religions, uh, she's also an archaeologist. So she, you know, those that do researches and stuff. Mm -hmm. So she, whatever I had questions, and I am a person that really loves to talk about history and whatsoever, so whatever questions I had about religion or history or whatsoever, she was just here um, giving me good education about it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she was like a mom. Yeah, I can feel that, and that it's always going to be a good feeling, but especially when you're feeling disowned or kicked out of your own home, and by your own mom, I, you wanted that even more. And she came in and fulfilled that role wonderfully. But of course, that feeling with your mom was still going to be there of like what she did to you. And now you're trying to go back and reconcile that. And she's not giving you what you need as far as talking about it and uh, working through it. So you're still stuck. Like you said, you still feel that space between you and your mom because there's that conflict that was never resolved. That space is there, that feeling that, you were not part of the family, that she was not going to love you. Those things didn't totally. ever get resolved. Sometimes yeah. she, she would even go out when my sister even doesn't call me to come out with them. Mm. And then I'm like, Mom, why didn't you call me? I would want to be there also, go out with you guys. And she's like, oh, we got used to you not being here. So she's mm. going to put it on me, you know. Yeah. And I, got really, I get really mad and anxious because she still doesn't understand. She still doesn't understand. And... It frustrates me, really. Yeah, I'm sure and, it does. Um, I still feel that distance, honestly, with my mom. Like, I don't even know how to fix my relationship with her. She's an amazing mom. Like, she is, but she's so impulsive. It's crazy. And yeah. I, I would really want to take this bad um, side of her so she could, you know, so we could have a good a good place together. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, that impulsive side you talk about sometimes can also come with the side that can't handle certain feelings because they get too emotional about it. And so yeah, it seems like she yeah, avoids like having those. Also because yeah. my grandparents weren't like the best, but, uh, you know, mm. I, I get why she's like that. I try to understand the most I could, but I yeah. still have not got my closure. So it's yeah. really hard for me to forgive. 
And, and of course, and, and you know, you'd want you need it from her for you to be very close to her. I know you're saying you want a better relationship with her. There's only so much you can do because it takes both of you to make that relationship repair what's happened and to be closer. And so you can do from your side as much as you can. But if she's not willing and able to meet you halfway, unfortunately, there's only so much you can do. And eventually, you might have to come to cl- closure on your own, which is never going to be as good as if you can do it with the person that hurt you or the person who you're talking about. Um, But you might have to do it on your own if she doesn't give you that, which will be challenging and probably slower. The healing process is much faster if we can do it with the person, but she might not give you that. And that's something for you to figure out. I think you're still dealing with that and coming back to this guy that you're with, um, it, it does even some way feels like you're punishing yourself when you talk about your relationship with him. That's that's something that comes to my mind now, especially in the context of everything you've talked about. There's almost like this self-punishment when it comes to him or that I deserve to be treated poorly or, you know, these types of thoughts come to me when I think about you and him. Um, but let's come back to him. And how do you how do you see it all playing, um, coming together? Does it seem like there's some of that that you almost are punishing yourself with him, that it's almost like you're going back to your family when it comes to him, even though it seems in some ways like you're being more open-minded to things, experiencing more things, but it seems like with him, you're going back to this very old school type of a relationship as far as the male-female dynamic. That's true. I haven't thought about it like that, but it's true. Hmm. Um, honestly, maybe, maybe the fact that, I don't know, the fact that um, he reminds me a lot of my dad, um, and yeah. I got my closure with my dad, long time ago, and we have, like, one of the best relationships today. I'm really close to my dad, and mm. I don't know, it's like sometimes I can see my dad in him, mm-hmm. but I don't know why, like, the, the bad the bad also is there, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I tried to, like, point them for him. I've been, like, talking about the things that bothers me about him, the things that he does to me for no particular reason because every time I'm like tell me did I do something wrong why are you acting like that why are you being disrespectful um, and I, I'm not the type of person honestly that screams or or shouts or um, I, I get a lot of attitude sometimes but I think my attitude is because I become really defensive because I get so insecure with him mm-hmm. so he makes me insecure, so I get defensive all the, um, like right away. So and then he's like, "Oh, you have a bad attitude." Okay, I know I have a bad attitude, but my bad attitude didn't just come out of itself. Like right. you pushed it because you make me so insecure, and I don't even know why you're acting like this with me. And I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. But he, he kind of likes to give me that silence treatment when he just doesn't answer mm-hmm. and just, you know, leaves me. Well, figure it out. Well, here you are again. I feel like yeah, just I like, with like I, I, I always blame myself. I'm like I did something. I did something, yeah. even though I don't even know what I did. Well, that's what he plays into a lot. Unfortunately, now I mean I'm not saying just intentionally of giving you the feeling that if he's mad, it's your fault. If you're upset, it's your fault. You know, like no matter what, it seems like you're, it's your fault. Either you're not being good enough. Um, and again, here you have the same dynamic as with your mom with the silent treatment where it's like you don't talk about the things that are important. But unfortunately, one of the things you might have concluded based on what happened with your family is that they didn't love you because you weren't good enough or it was your fault. Uh, and I think that's the unfortunate part of your mom still not 
accepting what happened and asking for forgiveness and apologizing is you've still internalized this feeling that it seems like that you're not good enough or that you're the reason you didn't get loved. So when he doesn't love you, even though you get mad at him, it seems like inside you blame yourself. Like I'm not good enough or I did something wrong that he's not loving me the way I want him to, where it might just be him being the way he is. But you've again chosen a situation where it's like your old situation where you keep feeling not good enough, where you keep feeling not loved the way you want to feel loved. And that's what I meant by it's painful, but it's comfortable as in you're used to it. And so you stay stuck there, even though it seems like when you talk about it, you know he's not the right guy for you. At least that's the feeling I get when you talk about it. But somehow something deeper inside of you feels like, no, you have to keep staying in this situation. You have to keep playing out this drama. And try to make a lot of effort and... And it's it's a really honestly it's a one way relationship. I I don't get anything from that relationship, and yeah. I know it's a bad place for me. I just don't know how to get out of it. Mm. And every time I try, when he comes back, it's so easy to have me back because I really love him and I care about him. Well, but we need you to we need you to like, love. You have to love yourself and care yourself a little about yourself a little bit more. And it goes back to the feeling that you're parents gave you or especially maybe your mom that you were supposed to be a certain way and because you weren't they didn't love you like you blame yourself for that but i think your love for yourself isn't there and the i love him so much is a a way of staying you know it's kind of like a drug addiction like you're staying addicted and keep taking the drug but saying oh no because it makes me feel so good or actually i like it or whatever it is but even you called it toxic and it's kind of like we have a toxic relationship with a substance where we use it, make, it hurts us, but somehow we trick ourselves into using it again. And so sometimes when you talk about him, it's like you're tricking yourself into keeping him in your yeah. life. Yeah. And the drug's not going to quit you. You have to quit the drug. And so, so how do I do that? Well, that's, I mean, that's the part where I said, I know it sounds, it's just like, you know, yeah. If you tell someone, hey, stop drinking, it sounds very easy, but actually executing it is harder. So I know it's very easy for me to say that it seems like it's the wrong relationship and you need to just remove him from your life. Um, and maybe that, that probably will be the best thing eventually, but you're going to have to figure that out. And I would also recommend if you go back and work through your past, as we've done, as we've talked about, at least talking about your past, realizing how much of what you're going through now is related to that. And if you start working on some of those past things, you might feel less likely like you need to play out your old drama with him. Um, so I would recommend going to your own therapy if you haven't already, because there's a lot you're dealing with and carrying and you're playing it out with him. This is just, you know, we play out our old dramas with new characters, but it's the same play, you know, and that's what you're doing now with him. But it feels so deep and real because it's bringing up these old feelings. So it's like, of course, I have to have him in my life. He's my everything. He's the reason why whatever it is, you kind of trick yourself into bringing him back in. Because it's almost like he's your dad. So how could you say no to your father's love? And how could you say no to the chance to finally get your dad to love you the way you want it to be loved? So you keep letting him back in because it's that old wound that gets resurfaced with him that this time he's going to heal it. But he didn't create that wound to begin with and he's not going to heal it. And he's not the type of person that will heal it the way you're describing it. But you keep going back to the same place and getting hurt in virtually the same way. And telling yourself, I have no other choice. But the choice is going to be up to you. Is there any... And you know, the thing... Why he's treating me this What's that? Is 
is there any particular reason why he's treating me this way? That's on him, but what we have to look at is why you accept someone treating you this way more than why he treats you this way. I think, unfortunately, that maybe you asking that part of it is that you think you're doing something. I'm sure you're playing a part of this drama, so I don't want to say it's 100% him, but for me it's more important about what you're, why you keep going there. You know, it's like if you tell me, you know, I go to this place every morning and they beat me up. And then you say, why do you think they beat me up? It's like, I don't know, but I don't know why you keep going to that place where they beat you up. You need to stop going there more than understanding exactly what's up with them. And I don't think he's being bad to you because you're bad. I think you think you're somehow not good enough and you put yourself there, but why he acts this way, that's on him. Why you keep accepting it, that's 100% on you. And just like a drug, um, if you're addicted, there's no good amount you can have because you're going to get sucked back in. So more than likely, when you decide to do that, having him out of your life completely will probably be the only way. There's no let's be friends, let's still be connected because we meant so much to each other. Uh, just my personal thought on that would be that you'd have to have him completely out of your life. But I know it's easier said than done. So that's why I'm saying I would really recommend you go into therapy to get to the roots of some of these things to understand what's going on. Unfortunately, your family is not going to help you resolve the issues. Like your mom, you're saying she's avoiding it. Maybe someday she'll be more open to talking about it. I hope she will be. But you might have to deal with a lot of these wounds on your own, but not on your own completely. You can get help from someone. You can get help from someone. But I hope you will seek that out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so too, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's just that therapy hearing. Canada is so hard to get. <laughs> I don't know what it's, yeah, I don't know how it is, but I would make it a priority because this is, it's going to be um, huge in your life to keep going this way. And you won't, you might not be able to make the changes. I'm not saying you can't without it, but the longer term changes will, will almost only happen if you go into that because you, you have a lot of uh, wounds you're carrying with you everywhere you go. And you're going to keep, That's true. yeah. So I hope you'll find a way to make, make it a, priority that you'll find you can find a way to make it happen i hope you will and i appreciate you calling because you brought up a lot of really interesting issues i'm sure a lot of people could relate to or connect to as well so thanks for sharing your story with us today thanks for listening to me thank you it was thanks nice for, talking to you take care good luck all right thank you very much dr Freight. my pleasure take care bye-bye all right let's go into another commercial break we'll be right back back so with the previous caller um i really do appreciate her coming on sharing her story and different things she's went through with her family with her life and i wanted to touch on a few topics about that call not specific to her because i'm not talking to her anymore but about the issues she brought up one is she, she talked about um how she was unable to have that conversation with her mom after everything they went through and so this goes back to how I started the show today about conflict and how we tend to avoid it. And we think, well, it's better, you know, let's just not talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Or I hear people even say, you know what? I don't want to make him or her upset talking about it. So let's not talk about it at all. Let's just, let's just be happy. Let's just be good and, and enjoy each other's company. We don't need to fight anymore. And we think this is the better thing. And, but this is our way of tricking ourselves to stay in our comfort zone which we, we do in so many ways, and this is another one of them, is we say, oh, because I don't want to upset them 
Or I want to just enjoy our time together. You might even convince yourself in other ways of, oh, you know, how much time do we have together? We don't know. So let's make every moment positive. Why should we have a negative interaction? But it's not about having a negative interaction because you want it to be negative because you like that. It's actually because you know there's something to be resolved. It's like when you brush your teeth, you don't say, oh, I don't want to hurt my gums by brushing them. Let me let them be comfortable. You're saying, no, it's good for their health, even if it is a little bit hurting um, briefly, that's going to be good. Or if you go get a teeth cleaning and sometimes they get in there and it might hurt a little bit, you can't just say, oh, I don't want to ever feel a discomfort in my mouth, so don't touch my teeth. You say, no, this is going to help my teeth stay strong and healthy. Similarly with our relationships, sometimes we have to have the uncomfortable conversation before we can make things good and healthy and happy and strong. And so if you're at that place where, like, you know what, we had this fight or we had this disagreement or I did that bad thing, but I don't want to bring it up again. Just recognize you're fooling yourself. You're saying that because you don't want to have the conversation because you feel like you can't handle the feelings or you're not sure how it's going to go or you're not sure how they're going to respond. But it's not because of this positive thing that you don't want to bother them or upset the relationship in some way. You're afraid of that conversation and you're avoiding it. And people will almost always prefer if you take that step to apologize and say, I'm sorry if I hurt you in this way or I feel bad. But we can't handle our own feeling of guilt and discomfort, so we avoid it. We can't handle acknowledging what we did wrong because we put this pressure on ourselves to be perfect or to be good or to never hurt someone. And that guilt is so strong that we want to avoid it and pretend like it's not there. So we think instead of acknowledging what happened, apologizing, having them express their feelings, maybe they're upset, they're sad, whatever it is, and having that uncomfortable conversation, I'll just be extra good from now on and that makes up for it. And that's what a lot of people do. Rather than apologizing, let me just be extra good now. And that's all we have to do because things will be better. I don't have to say sorry. I'm just going to be good. And of course, the acting nice and loving is good, but we first have to have the conversation where we acknowledge what has happened. And as I mentioned with her, when we're trying to heal a past wound, the fastest way we can do that is if the person who has hurt us will actually acknowledge how they hurt us and have that conversation with us or conversations. Usually it's not going to be just once if it was something significant, especially if it was something that spanned the course of years or all of our childhood. So if they're able to do that with us, we heal much more quickly. If they acknowledge that they hurt us, if they apologize that they hurt us, if they try to even after they've done that and shown that they really care about how we feel, also try to explain to us what happened. You know, you know why I might have hurt you in these ways. This is how I thought a parent is supposed to act. I thought if I'm really strict with you, I'm going to protect you, let's say, or I thought if I was going to be this way, you would like that. Or I thought you didn't want to talk about this, so I never brought it up. Whatever it is that might help us understand the situation better, make the wound less personal, make us see their side of things, and eventually we can heal. And so you're giving someone such a gift when rather than avoiding that conversation, you actually embrace it. Because if you don't, they're either going to have to try to heal on their own um, and they'll also carry that resentment and that hard feelings about the fact that we won't bring it up, that we didn't help them heal. So you've already hurt someone. Why not also be part of the healing? But if you keep that from them, you're actually hurting them again or hurting them in a different way. And so we have to acknowledge that as hard as it is to have that painful conversation, to recognize, you know what? I messed up. 
I'm sorry. I hurt you. We don't like to acknowledge that. We want to be the perfect mom or dad or husband or wife or friend or whatever it is. And so we avoid that conversation thinking that that's better. Somehow we are loving them more by just avoiding that conversation. But we're doing that to protect ourselves from our own feeling of guilt or not being good enough or perfectionism or whatever it might be. So hearing her talking about the pain that still was there because there was never an acknowledgement of what took place. It was almost a denial of what took place. We saw how much it was still hurting her and, as she expressed, still creating the space and distance between her and her mother. They could never be as close again until they resolve that. It's like there's literally something there between you and them that will not allow you to connect again. We have to get rid of that debris, get rid of that um, whatever you want to call it, the thing that's causing disconnection before that connection can be there again. Now, we're going to go to the last commercial break, but after this, this break, I'm going to talk in the last segment about acceptance and how important that is in all of our relationships, but especially to get that feeling from our parents because that came up in that call as well. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Luck. We will be right back. Welcome back. So in this last segment, I wanted to talk about acceptance and what that means and especially what that means as a parent when you show your child that I love and I accept you as you are and not just as you are however you are because sometimes our kids might not show us who they are yet or they might not know but giving them that feeling that I will love and accept you no matter what and most parents will say this with their words, if you ask them, almost no parent will say, no, I will not love my child. They'll say, I love my kid no matter what happens. But we don't at times recognize the ways that we might send them messages that this is actually not true. That we want them and need them to be a certain way in order to get our love. And so kids might not even realize this uh, as she expressed that, oh, when I decided myself, it was totally my choice. But it became clear as the family reacted when she did eventually stop wearing the veil, that they did not give her that love and acceptance feeling, that it wasn't that simple that she could just choose for herself. And so I did make the connections because it was so apparent in how she talked about coming out and being loved and accepted, about being kicked out of the home, that it was similar to what people can experience, members of the LGBTQ community, when they come out to their family and say that they are gay and lesbian or that they're not heterosexual and the responses that they get from their families and still people get kicked out of their homes or disowned or all sorts of horrible reactions are still happening, even in America, even worse in other countries as well. And parents sometimes will say, well, no, I accept my child for being gay. I've heard that a lot. But when you look at how they act, acceptance is not just, not just a word. It's based on our actions and reactions and responses. So if you say, I accept my son or daughter for being gay, but I don't accept their romantic relationships or I don't want their boyfriend or girlfriend to come to the home, that's not a feeling of acceptance. That doesn't give someone the feeling that you accept them. So we have to recognize that acceptance is not just based on words. It's also largely based on our actions, reactions, behaviors, and the feelings we give them. If you treat them differently now because they are gay, let's say 
you don't want to hear about their dating life or don't ask about it, but you would have if they were straight or if they have a brother or sister who's heterosexual and you respond differently. You have to be aware that acceptance is not something they're going to feel, that they feel accepted by you. And so why is acceptance even important as a parent to give this to your child? Well, as we saw with her and what many of us can feel is that we sometimes can think that we have to be good enough to be loved, that we have to act in a certain way to be loved, or that if we are just ourselves, we won't be loved, so we have to be someone else, or we have to even hate or dislike who we are because of that. And this is such a sad thing for someone to feel. And so as parents, we might think our job is to make our kids become certain things. We have an idea of what a good person is. A good person acts in this way. A good person does these things. A good person doesn't do these things. A good person is straight, is heterosexual. A good person follows this religion and this tradition and does these things. And a bad person or an evil person or immoral person does these other things. And so we think our job is to make our kids become a certain way. Now, I think it is important as a parent to have certain values that we might want to help our kids recognize. Things like kindness, that acting in a kind way can be good. Um, working hard towards good things can be good. Uh, that being loving towards others can be a good thing. So there are values that we can definitely instill and encourage and, of course, model. What you act is much more important than just what you say that are good for us to keep in mind. Those values are different than being a certain way as far as labels, that if you um, are this religion, you're good. If you're this other religion, you're bad or any other religion, you're bad. If you're straight, you're good. If you're gay, you're bad. If you have friends that are like this, you're good. If you have friends like that or that, you're bad. These things are where we have to make sure that we recognize that telling our kids to be a certain way or, for example, to be an extrovert is good, being an introvert and being quiet or quote-unquote shy is bad. These different ways, we have to recognize that our kid, our child, has to have the choice to be who they want to be. And your role as a parent isn't to love them or to force them or pressure them to become something, but to love them whoever they are, whatever it is they happen to be. So the analogy I always use when it comes to this is that as a parent, you might think your job is to turn your child into something as if you've been given, uh, you're trying to raise a plant. So if you've been given a seed, you might think, well, a flower is good or a tall tree is good or some other type of plant is good. But what I tell parents is you've been giving a, given a seed and you don't know what type of plant it is going to become. And so your job is not to stretch your kid in a certain way or push them to go this way or that way to grow in a certain way, but to just give the love and the conditions necessary for that plant to meet its full potential. If it's supposed to turn into a tall tree, it turns into a tall tree. If it's supposed to be a flowery plant, it turns into a flowery plant to the best of its potential. If it's supposed to be a shorter tree, it turns into a shorter tree. But your job isn't to make them something or to make them feel bad for not being something but just allow them to be who and what they want to be. And this sounds a lot easier than it is because we all have biases and judgments about what's good and what's bad, how we wish our kids would be or not be, or even how we wish we were. 
a lot of times parents don't realize because they wish, let's say, they were the top student, but they never were. Now they're going to try to pressure their own kid to become that top student and love them if they become that and not love them as much when they're not. Or because they wish they were more popular in school, they're going to push their kid in that direction to have more friends and be extroverted and make lots of jokes or whatever. And if they're being quiet or shy, it brings up those feelings of insecurity in themselves and they push the kid and punish the kid or make the kid feel bad for being this way. And so we have to recognize and acknowledge all these different judgments and biases we have about what's good, what's bad, how a person should be, how they shouldn't be, and realize that a lot of times that's going to get in the way of us giving our child what's most important, which is love and acceptance. I love you no matter what. I accept you no matter what. And now I, when I say that, I do want to make it very clear, this doesn't mean that if your child acts in a disrespectful way, you say that's good, that if your child is not doing their work, you say that's the same thing as doing your work. We can still recognize, as I mentioned before, values that are good. We can still recognize trying to encourage them that some things that are hurtful to them and hurtful to others won't be good, but we want to make sure we let them feel that we're going to love and accept them no matter what. If you get an F, I love you. If you get an A, I love you. Now, an A is good and feels good to you, and we want to support that in a way. But if you get an F, it doesn't mean I don't love you. But some kids feel this way. If I get a good grade, my parents love me. If I get a bad grade, they don't. Or if I act in a good way, they love me. They say, oh, you're so happy. That's good. But if I'm angry or if I have such big feelings, I don't know what to do with them, and I have a tantrum, now they don't love me. They sometimes even say that. Parents say, you know, I don't like it when you're this way. I don't love you when you're this way. But usually it's more implicit. We give them a feeling that we don't love them. And this is something that I talked about earlier on the show today that's so important, that you show someone that even when you're feeling your worst, I still love you. Even when you're not feeling good, I love you. It might not be pleasant when you're having a tantrum. You don't have to lie to them and say, this is so nice to hear you kicking and screaming. But you still love them even when they're kicking and screaming. And so you want them to feel like, okay, it didn't feel so good when I was angry, but I know my mom and my dad love me even if I'm angry and I'm screaming. And they're going to help me with that. Not tell me that we're, you shouldn't feel this way or it's bad to feel this way, but that you're feeling that way right now. How can we help you to deal with those feelings? And be, be, even bigger than that is looking at who they are as a person. And I brought up sexuality and I'll bring that up again because I work with a lot of families where this issue comes up, where issues related to sexuality become uh, front and center, where one of their kids has come out and they say, how do we deal with this? And first part is when we talk about acceptance is not trying to change them. And a lot of parents think that, okay, maybe it's a phase or maybe they're just thinking this, but maybe I can convince them to be straight. And do people have confusion at times? Of course. Sometimes people are still figuring out their sexuality, but it's not up to you to try to convince them because it's not about convincing. It's about them getting more in touch with what's really inside of them, which might be a process, but not one that you can force them in one way or the other. So I don't think you're supposed to push them one way or the other. And of course, this reflects the bias that you have towards that. But don't think that you have any pressure there or responsibility. They're figuring it out if they need to figure it out, or maybe they already have. But first, allow them to have that space to figure it out. But once they have, make sure you don't give them the sense that they are now bad to you. 
Is it an adjustment? Of course. Maybe you'll have to think about some things differently, come to terms with some things, some expectations that you had will now be changing about them or their life or their future. Or you might be worried or feel bad that although we're getting much better, we still live in a world where there is discrimination and prejudice against people who are not the quote-unquote norm or not heterosexual. We still definitely live in that type of a world. So you might feel worried about them. I can understand that concern you might have that you'd rather they don't have to face that. But if that's the reality, your job isn't to try to deny it. Your job is to recognize, well, if they live in that kind of world and they're dealing with this, let me make sure I'm someone who's a positive influence. Let me make sure I'm a place of love and acceptance rather than someone who's making it worse. That's all you can do. You can try to change the world slowly through advocacy and different things and talking to people and whatever else you can do. So there's some some uh, influence you can have, but you can't change the world. What you can completely have control over is how you show your child love and acceptance. Do I love and accept you for being who you are, for being however it is you are? Um, whether we're talking about career choices, who they marry, or even who they're attracted to. Are you giving them that feeling that you love and accept them? And the unfortunate consequences, we so often don't get that feeling and message from parents. And when we grow up, we feel like something about us makes us unlovable, or we have to act a certain way to be worthy of love. And she could feel that in her relationship, the caller um, I was talking to, it seemed like she felt she had to act a certain way. And so if she wasn't getting love from him, it was because she wasn't being good enough. She did something wrong. She needed to be different. Not realizing that we're all worthy of love just for being us. And we need to find someone that loves us for being us. We don't have to act a different way or become someone else. Of course, we learn things in relationships about how to treat people better and how to be better partners and all of that. So I'm not saying everything you're doing is perfect. We still can grow. But especially when it comes to being who we are, we're supposed to be who we are and find someone who loves us for being who we are. But if we live in a home where we're told, well, you know, you get loved when you act this way. And if you be this way, it's good. If you be that way, it's bad. Then when we see someone not love us, we feel like, yeah, they're right. I need to find the way to be what they want me to be to get their love. Not, you know what? I deserve love. If they're not loving me, that means they're probably not for me. And I should find someone else who does love me for being who I am. So be aware of that message you give to your kids when you don't accept them for who they are being, that you're telling them that you need to be someone else. And if someone doesn't love you, that's your fault. If someone doesn't like you, that's your fault. Not that's on them or they're not the right person for you. It's up to you to twist and contort yourself to be whatever it is they want you to be, to then get their love. Just like you have to change and twist and contort who you are every day to get me and your mom or me and your dad to love you because that's how you become a good person. So giving them that unconditional love and acceptance gives the message to your kids that you're good as you are. You love yourself for who you are. We love you for who you are and find someone who will love you for who you are. You don't have to be anyone different. You don't have to act different. You don't have to change who you are to make someone love you. You are good enough exactly as you are. And true love and acceptance goes deeper than just, yeah, you can be whatever you are, but you have to really show them that I love you and accept you in your good moments, your bad moments. If you act like me, if you act different from me, if you do things I think are exactly right or wrong, my love for you 
won't change. The acceptance does not change. And this is much easier said than done, but something that I hope we will move towards, recognizing my job isn't to make you become something. My job is to love you for who you are, whatever that might be. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to that caller. I really do appreciate her calling again. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We have a wonderful day.